All right, church, let's put our hands together this morning and praise the Lord for this glorious day he's brought us. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? No one. It was my tomb until I met you.
good morning, everybody. Um, you are either here in person or watching online. And uh, no matter how it is that, that you are meeting together with us, we are just happy uh, to be worshiping with you. Uh, this is a, a good day. Um, and so uh, as, as I sort of thought about, you know, uh, it's pretty easy to do some sort of hosting thing when you're only focused on one group of people. Who's this for now? I don't know. Um, but uh, I don't really like announcements, so um, okay. Um, off the rails. Cool. Okay, uh, what I would like to say is that there are just many ways that, that we are providing to worship together. Uh, we will continue to stream our uh, 10 a.m. service online. Uh, we will now offer uh, this indoor service also at, at 10 a.m. Um, and we will continue offering outdoor services, both Sunday mornings and on Wednesday night. Um, and so just to, to keep up to date with all of that information, it's all going to be on the website, northparkchurch.org. Um, and that's also where, you know, you can always send in prayer requests, um, contact us that way. Uh, and we uh, always love to, to pray with you about the things that are going on in your lives. Um, and it is just a, an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. Um, and today is a communion Sunday. Uh, so if you are watching online, um, this might be a good moment to go and grab some elements if you did not already. Uh, if you're in the room and somehow you missed the elements, um, oops, no, uh, you, they're, they're still back there. You can still go ahead and grab them. Uh, and communion will be a special treat today. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but it's fun. Candy's doing it. Okay, um, in the kids' moment. Spoiler. Okay, um, let's just uh, let's pray together, uh, and then we'll continue worshiping. Father, we're just so thankful for the opportunity that we have this morning to just uh, worship together in so many different ways, and we just pray that in all of these things that we would just bring glory and honor to your name and to the name of, of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand with us again? I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tale. to 
may be seated. Good morning. It is so good to see people in this building. This is, this is marvelous. Just give yourselves a hand. I love it. I love it. I love it. It was great having early service this morning also. And uh, it, this, is, this is fantastic. Thank you for coming and joining us today. And for those of you who are still online, thank you for being with us. This is a great, great, wonderful day. And I just want to, uh, my name is Bob Fuller. I'm the administrative pastor here at North Park. Pastor Bob Willis is uh, still on vacation for a few more days. And uh, Pastor Becca usually leads worship, is leading worship at a ladies' conference over in the, at the coast this weekend. So uh, that be, keep them in your prayers. It is a, it's a grand thing that they are getting to do that. My topic today is another in the series of the big subjects about God that we've been covering. And today we want to talk about, do you know that God knows what's going on and that he is in control. There are many attributes of God. He's unique, he's eternal, he's everywhere present, he is supremely good, he is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. Just to name a few. But today I just wanna focus on those last two. God's complete knowledge of everything and his complete sovereignty over all. My hope today is that you will just get a small glimpse of how just big and awesome our God is and how much he desires and deserves our humble worship. Let's pray to open our time together. Lord, we thank you for this gorgeous day. Thank you for the gathering that we've been allowed to do. We honor you and we give you praise. Help us to calm our minds and hearts right now, Lord, as we think about you and think about how big and awesome that you are. And we just give you the praise and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, there are a lot of people, many people, who believe that there is a God, or at least that they believe that there is some sort of a life force that's greater than themselves. Now, this is pretty evident all throughout history because of all the different kinds of things that people have chosen to deify. This innate awareness of God in everyone is because God put into humanity a basic knowledge of and desire to follow him or for him. Romans 1.20 reads this way, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. But just by believing that there is a God, that's not sufficient knowledge or sufficient understanding full of full appreciation of just how magnificent our God is. People have to come to know that God is greater than anything that they can imagine, and he is able to do everything he can imagine. They must recognize that he is a personal being who wants us to get to know him. So what is the proper response that we should have when we begin to grasp just how awesome God is? But let's make that a personal question. How should I respond? How should you respond? I have to accept and affirm in my whole being that God 
is the God of the Bible, that he is supremely sovereign over all, and I am personally part and under God's sovereignty. I must submit to him in humility, in awe, giving him worship, adoration, blessing. Consider how the prophet Isaiah responded when he saw the Lord. From Isaiah chapter six. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Can you picture that scene in your mind? Isaiah was in the throne room of God, and he likely bowed or even fell prostrate in the room before God. His response showed how deeply he was moved, maybe even frightened, while he recognized his own frailty and unworthiness in God's presence. Now, some may sound that that sounds like a tyrant king just looking for slave-type subservience. Well, the Bible does say we are to fear him, but not fear like of a tyrant, but fear meaning awe and deference. There's another attribute of God that counters this perception. That is his supreme goodness and love for his creation. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter four, verse six says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a little like us saying, Daddy. A person does not call a slave master daddy. To our daddy, we give honor and respect because he loves us. Another question might be asked, how can God be both frightening and gentle at the same time? These two sides of God's nature seem contradictory, but that is the mystery of God. He is able to do all things at all times. That's what God meant when he spoke through the prophet Isaiah saying, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. Now, a study of God's knowledge of all and sovereignty over all could take many directions, and my intent is not today to take us down into all the theological nuances that each of these imply. I just want us to grasp the significance of these two wonderful and mighty attributes of God. The God who created the universe, the God who created you and me, the God that loves and cares, the God that has his whole plan in his hand. God's creation, the heavens and the earth, the people created in his image, are all the product of a plan. His grand plan. His plan was to extend the glory, extend the scope of his glory to more than just angels and other heavenly creatures. 
He created us to bring glory to himself. He designed us with the capacity to choose to worship him. Now, I want to take a closer look at the first of these two attributes, God's complete knowledge of things. There's a word for this. We call it omniscience. Now, who is the smartest person that you ever knew personally? Well, the person for me that comes to mind is also named Bob. He was my, about my same age. We were in the same grade together. And we played Little League Baseball together. We played in this high school band together. We even played the same instrument, the saxophone. But that's where the similarities break down. You see, Bob was smart. He was really smart. And that was pretty evident even in our early grades in school. When we graduated high school, Bob was the valedictorian. And after college, he went on and became some sort of an aeronautical-type engineer and worked for Boeing Aircraft for many, many years, designing some of the most complex systems on the big jets. Bob is a very smart guy. But how did he get his knowledge? He got it from books, from other people, and from his experience. That's the difference between human knowledge and God's knowledge. We have to learn God just knows. God cannot discover anything new. He is never surprised. He never wonders. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 14 reads this way. Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? The answer is no. No one taught him. He just knows. He never looks for information, except with one exception. Sometimes when God is trying to draw us out into communication with himself, he will ask us questions. An example of this is Adam and Eve. They had just eaten the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes were open to their situation. Their nakedness and their separation from God who they had walked with for a while in total innocence. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the cool day, cool part of the day in the garden, and they hid themselves. And God called to Adam, where are you? What have you done? Who told you that you were naked? Now, don't you think that God knew where Adam and Eve actually were? So why did God speak to Adam in the form of a question. Why didn't God just say, Adam, I can see you get out from behind that bush. I know exactly what you guys have done. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. We are an open book to God. When God asks me, Bob, what have you done? He's not asking for information. He already knows. So why does he ask? He's giving me the opportunity to choose to be accountable to him, a chance to come clean. Think about your own life. When you've gone a little astray or just been away from God for a little while, how does he approach you? Is he demanding or is he calm and gentle, just drawing you out? 
The book of Revelation chapter three, Jesus is speaking to one of the seven churches and they are in need of a little correction. So Jesus says in verses 19 and 20, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He stands at the door of our heart and knocks. He is offering to come to us. He doesn't bash down the door and barge in to make an arrest. He offers to restore us to his friendship. He wants a relationship with us based on openness and honesty. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord? We can't hide. We might as well come clean. 1 John 1, 9 reads this way. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Confess and repent. God will forgive and cleanse and restore you. Okay, right now we're going to watch the kids moment with Pastor Candy, and we're gonna have opportunity for all of us during this time to take communion. I'll be back in a few minutes to talk about God's sovereignty overall. through some of my photo albums and there are some special people and some really great memories in here and I wanted to share them with you. Can I do that? Oh, right in the front, my mom and dad. These are really special times, such great memories. I was in college and they came to visit me at my campus in my dorm room and I always loved when my mom and dad came to visit me either. We had so much fun together, we laughed a lot and they're in heaven now. I know one day I'll get to see them. Anyway, I had such great special memories with my mom and dad. And then I have some other pictures in here. I came across them. My family, we had just had some friends come from college, actually, and visit us. And so we were taking pictures out in the front. And I just remember saying goodbye to them. My kids are probably your age, like in um, first grade or kindergarten, probably, in third grade or fourth grade. And, Anyway, that was a really good memory. And then, oh, here's my kids with um, a kitten. It wasn't theirs. They always wanted a little cat or a dog, and we always said no. But they were helping take care of a little cat right here. And then, of course, skateboarding and rollerblading, those were such fun times. I loved these memories and these times, um, and these pictures bring back that memory of, of spending time together. You know who else left us a picture? Jesus, that's right. When he went to be in heaven with God and lived there, he left us a picture of him to remember him here on earth. It's not like the picture that you find in a photo album where we're gonna remember what he looked like. What we're remembering is what he did for us. We actually call that the Lord's Supper or taking communion. And that's the kind of picture that he wanted to remind us of, of what he did for us. So today, we're going to take communion. 
and I'm going to ask you to make sure that your mom and dad and anybody else that's watching the service today, um, that they get everything ready for it. So we need some sort of bread or cracker or chip, um, something to drink like juice. And if you can make sure your parents have that all ready for us, we're going to talk about it. But I'm going to explain to you what it means to take communion and celebrate the Lord's Last Supper. Okay? So there was a special meal the night before Jesus died on the cross. You know, it's when we celebrate Easter, that's actually what we're celebrating is his death on the cross. Okay, so just before Jesus was crucified on the cross, he called his disciples together for a very special meal. It's called the Passover. And they all went into this really cool room. It was really big and it was upstairs and they sat around the table and Jesus began to share with them what was going to be taking place. He had bread and there was wine there and they were all to share that. And what he did is he took the bread and he told his disciples that the bread was gonna remind them of the body, of his body, that he was going to basically give for them. Of course, they didn't understand what that really meant and then he took this glass of wine and he told them that the wine was to remind them of the blood that he was gonna shed when he died. And they were really confused because the disciples, his best friends, sitting around the table, they had no clue what he was talking about at that point. Jesus just said, when you eat this bread and drink this wine, you're gonna remember me and all that I have done for you. So let's set up the picture and see what it is we are remembering. Jesus died on the cross for you and me. He carried a cross to the place that it was going to be raised and he would be sacrificed because he loved us, God loved us and sent his son Jesus for us to save us. That day on the hill, there were soldiers there guarding him and protecting him. There were crowds of people gathered around. His mother was on his, her knees crying but Jesus knew this was the plan all along. The two that were being crucified on the, the sides of them, they were, they were guilty of what they had done, but Jesus was innocent. But he knew that this was God's plan all along, was to come and save us from our sins. Well, the story doesn't end there because even though it's sad to know that Jesus died. And it's sad when people die that we know. There was great news in the fact that Jesus died because three days later, he actually rose from what they call the tomb or the grave. Three days later, after he died, he was buried in a tomb, but three days later, the stone rolled away, the soldiers fell asleep, the tomb was empty, Jesus was alive. Two Marys came to see him at the tomb and it was empty and they were scared and wondered where he'd gone. And the angel came and said, don't be afraid. He is risen, he is risen. Jesus is alive. So before we take communion, you might have realized that you don't have Jesus in your life or you've never asked him to be a part of your life or to be your best friend. And you wanna do that. So you can just repeat this prayer after me if you're ready to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. So just repeat this prayer after me, okay? Dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm so glad 
that you rose three days later because that was the plan all along. I'm glad you're alive in heaven and you forgive me, like I said, for anything that I've done wrong. I love you and I want you in my life. Amen. So now that you've asked Jesus in your heart, if you've done that, send me a little note or a text or an email and let me know because I'd love to celebrate with you, okay? Okay, so right now we're going to go ahead and take communion. So whatever it is you're going to use to represent Jesus' body, go ahead and get that right now. I have my loaf of bread and um, I'm going to read some verses and then I'll tell you when to eat the bread, okay? And, you know, Jesus broke off some pieces for his disciples, and so I'm just going to break off a small piece for me um, to go ahead and eat. So go ahead and, and just hold your bread and close your eyes and just take a moment just to thank God for sending Jesus for us. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read some verses right now, and then I'll tell you when we can eat. So the Lord, he took this bread... And he said to his friends, his best friends, his disciples, he said, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and it says, this represents my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at that time, he wanted us to eat bread. So go ahead and let's take a bite of our bread and think about what Jesus did for us on that day he died on the cross. Next, we're going to go ahead and get whatever it is you're going to use to represent wine. We just usually use juice, so if you want to use juice or water, um, that works okay. So go ahead and you've got your juice that represents the blood that Jesus shed that day. So let me go ahead and read some scripture and then I'll tell you when you can drink your juice. This cup represents my blood. Whenever you drink this, I want you to remember me. So in remembering what Jesus did on that day, will you please go ahead and drink your juice? You know, the juice reminds us of the blood Jesus shed and the bread reminds us of his body that he broke for us or that he gave for us. How cool, what a great picture we have every time we take the Lord's Supper or do communion. We can remember what Jesus did for us. Amen. Have a great week and thank you for celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion with us. Bye. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship today? You broke my chains of sin and shame and you covered me with
I'm sorry I don't have any flannel boards like candy. <laughs> Sometimes we humans get to thinking we're pretty special. We believe and we actually sometimes actually believe that we are in control of our own destiny. Some of us plan our lives out in great detail just the way we think we want it to go. But the truth is we're not in control. Our sovereign God is. I remember working with a man many years ago. He was a planner. He had a daily planner and a weekly planner and a monthly planner. He even had a lifetime planner. When I first met him, he told me when he and his wife were going to have children, where they were going to live, how much money was going to make years in advance. Well, you can imagine how all that worked out for him. Some of his daily planning worked out okay, but his life plan was a bust because shortly after their marriage, a child came along and it messed up his whole life schedule. In the book of James, we are told in chapter four, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to have a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own evil, about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. God says planning and considering without him is evil. Now, that doesn't mean that we should not plan, but that our planning must acknowledge that if the Lord wants us to, we will do this or that. God's sovereignty over this world is simply God exercising his will freely as he chooses according to his own counsel. In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, God is saying, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That is a profound declaration. God not only knows all from beginning to end, he declares what is to happen from beginning to end. From ancient times, to things still in the future. Let me say again, God's sovereignty over this world is God exercising his will freely as he chooses according to his own ideas and purposes. Now let's look at some facets of God's sovereignty. One is his sovereignty over time. God is timeless. He is eternal. The book begins with, in the beginning, God. That just will tell us that God was there before anything was created that we know. God has always been, God always will be, no beginning 
and no end. Now, the concept of eternity past and eternity future is difficult for us to comprehend because we think about and operate on timelines. There is a timeline that God revealed to us in his word that begins with the words, in the beginning, God, and will end with the words as recorded in Revelation, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There are timelines that we readily understand, minutes and hours and days and weeks, even lifetimes. One, one timeline that interests me began on November 9th, 1944, and will end, I'm not sure when, only God knows. Another timeline that I am interested in is the timeline that began in October 1969 and will end at the same time as the other. That's my time walking with the Lord sincerely on this earth. Whenever those two timelines end, I will be in God's time forever and ever. Another facet is that God is sovereign over nature. He created nature and he preserves and sustains it. In Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six, we read, you alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all and the angels of heaven worship you. And Hebrews 1.3 reads, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He didn't just create the earth and the world that we know and walk away. He still is in control and he is walking as he is very involved. Another is God is sovereign over all the affairs of humanity. Listen to these words of King David in Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now some will ask, how can that possibly be? If God has preordained and laid out every event in my life beforehand, where is my free will? Am I just a robot? Uh, not at all. We have choice, but we also have responsibility. It's clear that people have choice because a poor choice is what started all this mess in the first place. Adam and Eve chose to ignore their responsibility of obedience and chose to, to believe the lie of the serpent. They chose to disobey God's direct command to eat, not eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree. Responsibility and opportunity to choose is what makes you, humanity unique in God's realm. It is God exercising his sovereignty which allows us to make the choice to respond to him. When God prompts us by his grace 
we have the choice to accept him or reject him. Now, on your own, you don't just all of a sudden one day wake up and decide, hmm, I think I'll be a Christian. It doesn't work that way. God is the sovereign initiator of all relationships with himself. Jesus' words is recorded in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father's drawing us is his sovereign grace in action. We are forgiven through God's mercy. We receive the gift of salvation through his grace. Grace is getting something that we don't, something good that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the punishment for our sin that we do deserve. So what are we to do with this understanding of God's sovereignty over everything? What is it that we are really what is it that we're really choosing when we accept God's gift of forgiveness? I think Romans chapter 8 sums up the whole question, starting in verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given right standing, he gave them his glory. We often quote verse 28, especially the part that says, God works everything together for good. That sounds terrific. But sometimes we leave out the equally important parts of the thought. God causes everything to work together for the good. The good of whom? those who love God. This somewhat answers the question that the world asks, where is God in all this human suffering? Well, God is waiting for them to honor and love him. Humanity in general has shut God out. They they removed him from government, removed him from public life, removed him from schools, replaced him with all kinds of idols. And even the question itself, where is God, is a rejection of God as sovereign. It all comes together when the whole phrase is taken together. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I ask the question, what is it that we're really choosing when we accept God's forgiveness? We're choosing to yield to God's control and to trust God to know what is good for me, for my family, for my faith community. Do you remember God's call to you, his grace of offering his grace to you? That call And your repentant response is in accordance with his purpose, his plan for you. God determines what is good. It is his idea of good according to his purpose. It's not necessarily sometimes what we think would be good. 
God often places us in difficult circumstances so just so that we can see his faithfulness at work. And sometimes he leaves us there for a while so that we can prove our faithfulness to him. The test is whether we will serve him in every situation, trusting that he has a good purpose for putting us where we are. God in his sovereignty and omniscience sees us, chooses us, calls us, justifies us, and one day will glorify us with himself in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, as we here today contemplate your awesome greatness, your sovereignty over all your creation, may we recognize that you love us and one day will return to gather to yourself all who love you. Friends, I ask you to consider your own response to God. God does not want any of us to perish without repentance. What you sense today in your spirit is God's grace calling you. That's his grace reaching out for you. I ask, repent and accept his forgiveness and the gift of salvation. Thank you. Please stand and worship with us. There's a weapon maybe for but who won't prosper. When darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Let's sing that out.
you, Jesus, for everything you do for us. Help us as we leave today, as we go about our lives, to remember that the battle belongs to you and that we give it up to you so you can take care of us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.